Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or browse their entire inventory online at mygreensolution.com. Reserve products online and pick up at your local TGS Express checkout. You'll be in and out in minutes. Use code DNVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase. Now let's jump into the show. I am your host, Drew Creaseman, the managing editor of DNVR Rockies, and my right-hand man, my partner in crime, my brother of conjunction, Patrick Lyons, is with me via the telephone to discuss some Rocky stuff, some around baseball stuff, uh, and today, drugs. Uh, but we'll get into all of that, uh, <laughs> what I mean by that, and uh, it's it's going to be a fun one. That's for darn sure. But we do uh, want to begin once more with a little bit of an ego boost for myself diving into an article uh, that I wrote. But actually, uh, I'm, I must say this has also got to be a little bit of an ego boost for you just because you were the one that really did the reporting on uh, the piece. You asked a question on the final day of the season to Tony Walters about the possibility that he might see his name in the the Gold Glove nominations. And I thought he was very forthright with us. A lot of times you ask guys those types of questions and they, you know, they go, hey, I'm just here to get wins or I'm not really thinking about individual achievements or I'm focused on my offseason workouts. But Walters went straight to, that's always been a dream of mine. I'd really like to win a Gold Glove. So we appreciated that. But inside of the article that I, I wrote based off of your conversation with him, there were a lot of interesting things that came up that I want to dive inside of as far as how do we even determine who gets the gold glove at catcher? It may be the most difficult position to determine that. There were some interesting things that came out of it. So I'd love to at first just get sort of your top line takeaway of how would you decide who is gold glove worthy at catcher and does Tony Walters belong in that conversation? Well, Tony Walters, I feel definitely belongs in that conversation. And that was one of the reasons why I I wanted to get his take on it. You know, there was definitely a sense after that, that final game against Milwaukee where they completely spoiled their season as it turns out. And uh, I definitely started to notice that a lot of the players were just, they're being forthright, to use your word. They were being a little more honest and open, and it was their last chance to talk with the press and maybe set the record straight or let things be known before they head out into free agency, things of that nature. And so it was when I walked over to Tony and, and in the middle of that conversation and uh, kind of gave you a little signal of like, stick around for a second. I think I've, I've got some more dirt that might be able to to come out and and that was ultimately what what Walters had said is like yeah you know what this is something that I've been dreaming about for a period of time and though he didn't come out and, and say he he thinks he should be you know in that top three guaranteed I think he he very much feels that he should be he should be in that because you know he played amazing defense and people all around the league definitely saw that you saw the the run game kind of get shut down uh, a lot in their their games and you know 23 caught stealing 
something like, I, I think it was just over 33%. So one out of every three guys that tried to steal on Tony Papers, they were getting thrown out. And that's, that's not very good. You need to be stealing uh, anywhere from 75 or, or 80% of the time successfully in order to do that. And, uh, you know, your, your piece covers a lot of different details and the dynamics that, that go into his defense um, and, and really this makes the, the case as to why he should be in that conversation because he should. You know, you, you compare the defensive numbers to other guys around in the National League and he's there. You know, he's either top two, top three, um, in some cases, maybe as far back as five. But, you know, if you're, if you're one of the top five guys in your league, then you should undoubtedly be in the conversation. Whether that happens or not, obviously it is, you know, out of out of his control and out of the control of some baseball fans or, or pundits or members of the BBWAA like yourself. But he he needs to be in that conversation and, and, and hopefully we do see that come award season. Yeah, you know, it was interesting I think one of the things that struck me the most about his season, you talk about, of course, not dashing on the stashing. I'll work on it. Um, that how quickly word got around because he did end up second in the league in in uh, percentage of guys thrown out, uh, but only I think it was fourth in the league in number of guys thrown out because guys stopped running. They the reputation got around really quickly that he was a difficult catcher to try to steal on uh, some other things that were in there. He committed just one error on the season. It was a, it was a tough error too, I must say. Um, but so uh, a 999 fielding percentage errors are uh, difficult in general. And when it comes to catchers, you know, it's uh, because it's just, there are fewer opportunities to make errors and you're typically judged on, different things, but it's still worth taking note when you're not particularly uh, mistake prone. But for me, I think one of the most interesting things about this whole conversation is the whole pitch framing conversation. A lot of people want to make that a a really big part of it. And I I understand why, because it is a way in which a catcher can have a dramatic impact on a game. At the same time, our ability to measure this is really in the early stages, and there are a lot of things that are strange about this, including the fact that Wolters at one point was near the top of the league in the category, and this year fell to very near the, the bottom of it. And there are a lot of reasons why that could be the case. So so what do you do? Or like another element of this is that baseball reference, according to their kind of metrics, Wolters was the best catcher in the National League and one of the best defenders in baseball. And according to Fangraph's metrics, he was like the 30th best catcher in baseball. So what do we do with these discrepancies and and disagreements here, Patrick? Yeah, we haven't really quantified defense right now. And and doing it for a catcher is even more beyond because you, you have the element of the pitcher. You know, you have a catcher's ERA comparing you know, one catcher versus another guy catching the same pitcher. And obviously, you know, we're talking very small sample sizes. Even over the course of two seasons, um, your club might might face the Dodgers once. And if you were behind the plate when 
that starting pitcher faced the Dodgers, well, you might have called a decent game, but you know what? Peterson had his stroke down, same with Muncie and Turner, and the list goes on and on. And he gave up, you know, seven earned runs in over two innings. Now that that gets charged to your catcher. So we, we really don't know exactly the value of the catcher, and we might not. We may learn it, but we may not learn it until we get those robotic umpires and catchers aren't able to, you know, steal away, um, you know, strikes here and there. And that part of the element you know, gets taken out of it. So uh, I heard a conversation recently with, with a catcher that, that, that caught in the Atlantic League. And that was very interesting to think about what it's like when you're not worried about the pitch framing quite as much. And you're, you're just worried about just receiving and, and calling the best pitch and getting yourself set up to throw out a runner on second base, which in that league was much harder to do because the bases were slightly larger so that decrease the distance uh, between bases, albeit very slightly, and the fact that the pitchers couldn't actually really effectively throw over to first base and throw a guy out. You actually had to step off. But um, I'm, I'm getting you know beyond the point here, and that's, you know, pitch framing is important right now. And Tony did a nice job of that last year. I'm, I'm convinced he did a very nice job with it this year. However, you know, with the variability of umpires and, you know, uh, I, I imagine umpires may even, yeah, obviously, and uh, and the movement of yeah. those pitchers. Um, I, I think if you don't even want to address the the topic of you know framing, you can look at the the amount of pass balls, you know, and like you said, errors. Um, but ultimately, if you look at something like pass balls, which um, isn't a wild pitch, that's that's a ball that a catcher should be able to receive but does not it gets away uh, a runner advances a base you know that only happened four times for tony this year um to, to give you a frame of reference of of the other catchers that caught 900 or more innings in major league baseball this year there's only 10 guys only 10 guys were behind the plate for 900 or more innings tony walters was one of them he he only had four pass balls um that's how many that yadier molino had this year so that kind of lets you know what what company he was in this year and, and how good he was behind the dish defensively. Yeah, and and it's all you know, it's just all so complicated and interesting. You talk to these guys, and I've mentioned this on the podcast a bunch of times too, but they feel like their primary job in the run prevention game is calling a good game. Pitch selection, working with their pitcher, having a really good working relationship, knowing when they need to go out and talk to the guy to settle him down versus when they just need to stand in front of the plate and give him that look. Like, come on, man. Uh, even the way Walters has emerged as a, a leader in the clubhouse this year and the team's kind of de facto rah-rah guy, the, the replacement for Gerardo Parra that they so desperately needed. Now that you don't factor into gold glove but should we think about like is is calling a good game an element of gold glove should it be has it is that something or or am i way behind the curve has that always been something that people have considered when awarding the gold glove for a catcher or because to me it's always seemed like hey who blocks balls in the dirt good and who can throw guys out trying to steal second yeah it's it's always been a factor but it's it's been something that uh, a layman or even a even someone who watches the game very carefully isn't going to be able to figure out 
you know, I don't, I don't know if, if Joe Madden and, and Gabe Kapler, um, Craig Council, they're, they're in the opposing dugout, and they go, oh, I'm surprised he called for this pitch, and I'm surprised he called that, um, because ultimately it's on the pitcher to actually make that location. And, and you know, if, if Walters was calling bad pitches, then obviously that would be something that, um, you know, he'd, he'd be working with Buddy on, uh, on improving and Foster and Holmes. And, you know, we, we wouldn't hear about it, but there would be some grumblings. There would be some talk. And, you know, the, the pitchers love Tony behind the plate. You know, there's been so many times you, you talk about him really being a leader this year and being that vocal guy. Um, it, it was amazing coming in so many days, you know, and, and seeing some of the young pitchers sitting down next to him. Herman Marquez adores Tony Walters. You know, that's, that's his big brother. And they have a special just, relationship, those two. It really is. It's it's amazing just seeing those two guys talking and having a heart to heart. And and I, I'm convinced that that only half the time they're talking about baseball, you know, because of how right. you know in, intense they're talking with each other, not loudly, but just the way they're they're looking at each other and, and how they're communicating something of of real importance and respect. And you know, you you only get that kind of respect. Um, if if you call a good game and you're doing what you need to do behind the plate defensively, because that's that's what catchers do right now. You know, there's the game has its ebbs and flows of you know offensive hitting shortstops, defensive shortstops, defensive minded center fielders, offensive minded center fielders. These things can shift from time to time, and right now I, I think we're in a spot where getting offense from your catcher, you know, just isn't as important as it used to be, and trying to steal strikes, you know, with pitch framing and, you know, keeping the running game down to the, down to a minimum, um, you know, has, has a lot of value. And I think Tony Walters checks off a lot of boxes when it comes to, you know, what you want out of a catcher. Absolutely. So I guess the, the question to ask you is this, do you think he will be nominated for a gold glove? No, I do not think he will. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm on the fence if he's third or fourth uh, in the NL, but I don't think he will because a lot of what goes into you know these awards uh, are is, is their offensive output. You know, having only hit one home run on the season, batting eighth in the lineup, which is objectively dumb. No, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, because we're talking about again defensive abilities, not just uh, you know an over. Hey, you're good at defense. But man, you're a very good offensive player. But we're going to give you this award for right. being adequate defensively, or even above average defensively. It's just about the defense, and I think it's very similar to what we saw out of Trevor Story last year. Um, you know, Buddy said this exact thing: is that hey, last year Story just missed out on being in that top three. Should he have been in there? Seems like yes, definitely should have. But now this year. Going in, he was already on a lot of people's radars, and I think we will see him, you know, be in that top three. It's going to be the same story for Tony Walters. He's a essentially a career backup for the last two, three seasons behind Chris Iannetta and guys like Nick Hunley, and almost comes out of nowhere for you know the the average pro ball player to say, "Oh, who is this guy? I guess we need to show him a little bit respect." It won't. It won't really come to fruition until 2020 that they go, we know who this guy is. We need to show him respect. And then when you you know see him go out and do it again for that second season, that's that's where the respect 
that respect can translate into some gold glove nominations. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right about that. It's too bad because he's burst onto the scene this year with all the don't dash on the stash stuff. But it'll be interesting to see if even he makes some of the national conversation as a, a snub, as it were. Um, and speaking yeah, of papers, I mean, oh, go ahead. <laughs> well, uh, so yeah, speaking of papers, the trade papers were placed on Re- JT Realmuto this offseason. Yeah. And he definitely delivered defensively as well as offensively. He was almost at 50% in caught stealing rate. So you know he's going to be up there. He'll probably be number one. And then yeah. Yadier Molina, of course, again. Um, sure. He only, he only had eight guys caught stealing where Tony Walters caught 23. However, nobody ran yeah, on sure. Yadier Molina. So <laughs> right. 30 attempts. That was it. 30 attempts. That's it. And he caught eight of those wow. guys. So those two guys should be locks. And, and that's why it's. I think he's just going to be on the outside looking in. But, but next year is going to be the year for Tony Papers. So speaking of papers, <laughs> no, I appreciate, I appreciate you throwing that one back up to me because, hey, who wants to make money? Everyone wants to make money. You want to make money. I want to make money. But the easiest way to add a couple of bucks to your wallet is to use Denver's newest travel hack, Drift Car Sharing. They can allow you to share all kinds of locally owned cars with incoming travelers at Denver Airport for a better experience than car rental. Skip the chaos and save on time and fees when you book. Or you can share your car and earn and park for free while you travel. Plus, there's no under 25 fee rule, so it's perfect for friends coming to visit. Drift is great if you're going home for break and perfect for extended travel, like a semester abroad. Allstate Insurance covers your car for the entire trip every trip and drift cleans it inside and out that's right even if your car isn't rented while you travel drift will still clean your car upon your arrival get all the info on drivedrift.com that's drivedrift.com now patrick let's do drugs as a topic as a topic (laughs) good save good save uh, I have let's 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 uh, let's let's do let's do a little bit of our conversation on this podcast that is brought to you by the Green Solution and often features commercials from our good friends over at Strava, which I think I'll be talking about later. Uh, you brought to my attention a very interesting piece by Bill Shaken of the L.A. Times, published I believe just last night as we're recording this, right? It was on Saturday. It was very recent. Um, Suggesting that in the wake of the Tyler Skaggs tragedy and the more we learn about the opioid epidemic in this country, that the league might consider relaxing some of its marijuana laws, especially now considering that over half of this country's population now lives in states where marijuana in some form or another is, if not fully legal, decriminalized. It's legal for medicinal use in most places. And then millions and millions of people 
including those of us here in Colorado, live in a state where if you're 21 years old and you've got an ID, just like walking into a liquor store, you can purchase these products. And one of the things that that has done is it's allowed people to become much more educated about the topic and recognize the differences between things like THC and CBD, and then start to understand some of the health benefits. About 30,000 people last year died of opioid abuse, which is 30,000 more people than have ever died from THC or CBD. But now we're starting to learn that these might be very legitimate forms of pain relief, that these players in all sports haven't been afforded. And in trying to deal with their pain in other ways that are more legal, they're actually more dangerous and in the most tragic cases, can even end in death. There was also um, Percy Harvin uh, of the NFL came out recently and issued a statement saying that he smoked marijuana or at least took some form of it uh, before every game that he played in just for anxiety as much as anything else. And so now this is an interesting topic that's coming up more and more. And I feel like as, you know, being out here in Colorado and being a podcast that is sponsored by, you know, we're, we're very open to the green solution, Strava craft coffee. We've had plenty of other dispensaries and uh, these types of products. And, and we're very proud to have them as sponsors. And part of the reason is that I think there's historically been this natural like fight between athletes and weed basically right like it's seen as a non-athletic thing to do it's seen as a lazy thing to do so there's this extra stigma on top of it and now we're starting to see that actually professional athletes may be some of the people who can get the medicinal benefits out of it the most yeah for myself and and you know you touched on this a little bit coming from new jersey Marijuana was obviously, uh, you know, criminalized there. And growing up, that was kind of my thoughts and my beliefs on marijuana. And it was, oh, it's this, it's this bad thing. If it's if it's illegal, it must be bad. And as soon as I came out to Colorado, um, the bill was was first passed, and it was was legalized, and it really started to change my view um, about marijuana, especially the people who used it and, and would, would partake in it for various reasons, many of which involved their health. And I just thought like, man, it's, it's very interesting how um, we as a society can frame certain things as being good and bad and, and black and white when it's, it's never usually that case. And you're right, we try to educate people here in, in Colorado to, to really understand what's going on with it. And I think we are getting closer to that time in which, you know, everyone, you know, starts to accept it, that especially for athletes, that it can be something that can help get them through rough periods. And 
sure, athletes are the ones who are choosing this lifestyle for themselves. You know, no, they're not complaining that, oh, man, it really sucks making $5 million a year doing this job. No. Um, they feel very blessed. They feel very lucky. But it doesn't make it any easier to get out of bed when your right shoulder is, you know, inflamed and is hurting. Or as in the article that, that Bill Shagan wrote, Kyle Blanks, you know, has issues with his heel. And it's hard to get out of bed. And all the football players dealing with, you know, the, the effects of, of CTE and, and its concussions, it's, it's heavy-duty stuff. And, and you know, we, we still don't know everything that we need to know about the brain and our bodies and, uh, you know, the, the, the damage that we do to them on a day-to-day basis. And we, we really don't know all the effects for, for athletes doing that. So, you know, when you have uh, an option and, and really uh, somewhat of a solution like this for athletes to be able to uh, utilize marijuana in, in this way um, so that it, it, it doesn't kill them um, like like opi- opioids has, has the tendency to do and it, it doesn't make them super athletes like a performance enhancing drug. Um, it, it, it seems foolish to not really try to, to get ahead of it. It's, we're already behind it, but it, it seems foolish to not do everything to try to to get the answers that are needed to the people that really make the decisions and try to get something like that passed. Um, another thing that attracted me first to Colorado when I came out here, and I think I briefly talked about this, was um, endurance running, was was ultra marathons. And um, I, I quickly was able to to get into to certain circles out here in Boulder of you know folks who do 50 milers and 100 mile races all the time, and you know it wasn't really talked about all that much, but it was you know um, you know hinted at that hey you know the use of, of CBD and uh, and the use of marijuana when out on the trails or um, it, it helped a little bit with performance in the sense that it allowed uh, certain athletes to push through. Um, you know, pain thresholds or to, to get through some difficult recovery days and things of that nature. So um, it didn't necessarily, I guess, help their performance, but it did help their recovery. It did help them continue to, you know, be contributing members of, of society and not just totally have to shut it down and say, I need to just lay in bed for, you know, the next three days, which a lot of athletes, uh, no matter what the sport, uh, no matter what, you know, your, your gender is, you know, you have that feeling if you are just being active um, to the, the the uppermost levels of the, that your body can take you, it, it beats you up, and it's it it's nice to see that there's now you know, and, and maybe we're helping with that. We're starting a dialogue to to really discuss the effects of this on athletes and if athletes should be punished for you know marijuana usage. Yeah. You know, and, and there were a couple of things you brought up in there that I want to talk about. You mentioned the name Kyle Blanks and one of the things that he's doing now. And Rockies fans will remember him as the gigantic six foot eight uh, guy who hit some monster home runs, but uh, never quite stuck. And part of it may have been this. Who knows? He could have been Aaron Judge if, if he could have gotten his health right, uh, if some of these CBD options had been available to him. But that's the other thing I want to go ahead and break down that word because some people may not know what we're, we're talking about. CBD is the non-psychoactive part of the marijuana plant that does the pain relief thing. One of the things that we've learned as 
research has blossomed in the last 20 years as, as certain laws have been relaxed and we've been allowed to research it, is that you can isolate the part of the plant that actually has very legitimate medicinal use that just is a pain reliever, but is non-psychoactive, which means it doesn't make you feel the funny thing, that it doesn't get you high, right? That's what THC does. THC is the part of the plant that, that people most associate with the funny behavior and everything else that, that comes with it. But you can take all of that stuff and put it aside and create something that's you can smoke it, you can eat it, you can put it in your coffee, uh, Strava, craft coffee. They're gonna, <laughs> hey, it was good. This is a good episode for one of our sponsors today. Um, but this is the stuff that just helps with blood flow, with appetite, with pain relief. It's, it's an all natural substance. You don't have to put any chemicals in it. And there are some people out there who believe it to be a wonder drug and we're still learning about it. There has to be a lot more research done on it, but it, it should also not be confused with, and, and not that I think, you know, look, Tim Lincecum having stuff in his car, Michael Phelps, guys that have, you know, anxiety on record of, you know, they want to smoke it. That's a whole other situation, but it should also not be confused with anybody who's out here with tinctures or dabs or smokes of CBD, which is completely non-psychoactive. It's not going to have you out there acting weird or, you know, I, I would fight back against the beliefs that even on THC, people are somehow a danger to society. But even if you believe that, that any kind of drug, which includes caffeine, by the way, that is psychoactive, can make you dangerous to society. Well, CBD is not one of those. So at the very least, I feel very confident, not just because we happen to sponsor, you know, some products that have them, but saying nobody who takes CBD for pain relief should be in any trouble at all, ever. And some of these guys who've gotten in trouble, there needs to be a kind of, I don't know if grand apology is the right word, but some guys' livelihoods, Josh Gordon, have been a little bit ruined over some of this stuff. And, and I think there's going to be a, a, a big reflective moment in, in both in our nation and in our, in our sports world, as we look back and realize that for some pretty silly reasons, we were disallowing athlete, people who go out and put their bodies through hell for our entertainment, the best Avenue to make themselves feel better without the side effects that might end up, and some really terrible consequences. And, and that can very easily extend to those people who put their bodies and lives on the line for us as civilians, you know, police officers, firefighters. That would, that would extend to them too, not just for entertainment purposes, but um, for, for doing other things, you know, in, in the ways of, of protecting us, obviously, with, with certain constraints on that. But I think you're right. This, this will be an interesting time to look back on, as it always is, you know, with, with baseball, because, you know, there, there are a couple guys like Carlos Suiz and Miguel Tejada, I think Cameron Maben even uh, of the Yankees now, that in the past they were suspended for amphetamine use. Amphetamines were readily available in, in as early back as, as you know, the, the 50s and 60s, probably even before then. And, you know, it was talked about in, in Jim Bouton's Ball Four. They were just greenies. 
They, they used amphetamines every day in order to get through the pain of playing baseball every day. Um, and and, and that, that hasn't changed. But now guys get suspended for it. Same thing for um, you know performance-enhancing drugs where, yes, uh, testosterone and, and uh, steroids, of course, were, were illegal here in uh, America and in, in the late 80s. But Major League Baseball, they hadn't written anything in the rules in the collective bargaining agreement to say, oh, obviously, since it's legal here in America to use steroids – uh, for recreational use, if you will, um, we need to make sure that it, it says that in our rule books. No, they they didn't do that. So that was a nice loophole that plenty of guys were able to use an illegal substance, but yet they weren't suspended for it uh, professionally. So now we kind of have it uh, very much backwards, where you know it's it's legal in in, in many areas, um, especially for medicinal purposes, yet you could be suspended professionally, even though it's actually, you know, legal for where you at and, 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 uh, and where you live. So it, yeah, I don't know how that works. Like what, what are the parameters? I mean, I guess you're allowed to have your own rules, but to what extent? And, and I suppose that's a question for the next collective bargaining agreement, right? And to what degree would the players union want to make this an important rule? Because I guess the league can, say, hey, look, here are the rules. We all agree to them ahead of time. You're not allowed to do this. So even if it is legal, but there has to be a limit to that, right? Like, hey, bell bottoms is ugly. Anyone who wears bell bottoms, that's a 20 game suspension. Like, no. And of course, the, the, the union would never go for that. But is that all it is? It's a CBA thing? Because how I, at some point their authority has to be limited, right? Yeah, if if it's you know listed as, as something that they are not allowed to use, you know they can be suspended for it. In the minor leagues, they do test for opioids uh, as well as marijuana use. So um, that it's it's not actually tested for in in Major League Baseball. So again, I think um, and I, I don't know how knowingly that uh, they they sort of created this loophole, but it does exist that. Hey, you can go ahead and use the, those um, opioids and, and and you know pills that that help get you out of bed every morning and and work through the pain of of playing 162 games over the course of of six months. Not to mention everything you're doing in the off season and spring training and playoffs, um, but you can get away with that. And um, unfortunately, Tyler Skaggs got away with it, um, except for the fact that you know, he didn't, and uh, it cost him his life. So. You know, where where it reversed and marijuana was um, something that wasn't tested for and opioids were, you know, we'd have at least, um, you know, it would have saved at least one more person's life. Yeah, and and probably more than we know. And and sometimes it's, you know, not quite as immediate as the Skaggs thing. We've seen a lot of the more horror stories in the NFL that we know about of, of things that have happened afterwards. But it's, yeah. There's an untold amount of damage that has been done here, and we need to undo as much of it as possible, both in the world of sports and outside of. Now, I promise this was not planned. This is just the next read. We've got to tell you about very exciting, game-changing kaffa. That's right. Kaffa. Coffee from Strava. Strafi. 
uh, craft. It's the CBD enriched coffee that has really changed lives. Their reviews are incredible, so check them out. This CBD infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It has helped decrease anxiety, you name it. CBD is all natural, of course you all know know this, and non-psychoactive, and hopefully now everybody knows what that means. The coffee is rich and tasty, and we couldn't recommend it more to our listeners. As Strava says, drink deeply, live fully. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use code DNVR20 at checkout, and you'll get it shipped straight to your door. And now you'll be much more informed about what it is, what's in there, and and why it might be something that any professional athlete should be allowed access to uh, if it's, you know, really doing all of those things. And it, it is really doing a, a lot of those things. But let's let's move away from drugs now, as fun as it is <laughs> to, <laughs> to get to dive into topics like that and uh, finish out the conversation here. I actually based on some of the responses we were getting uh, from a previous podcast that we had done uh, here on Twitter. Of course, our good friend Mary, wondering about our, our whole conversation about Mookie Betts. We're over here getting excited about Mookie Betts. She's going, hey, now, wait a minute. Did I miss something where this guy pitches? How exactly does trading David Dahl and Wade Davis and, and maybe a couple extra prospects along the way for Mookie Betts make the Rockies a better baseball team when they really need to, to be better at pitching. And you know what, Patrick, I feel like she has a point there. She does. Um, it's, it's, it's a point about a, a, a trade that has about two and a half percent possibilities of actually <laughs> happening, but you're right. Um, we had fun. Though. Yeah. We had fun. And, and, you know, let's be clear. You're not trading Mookie bets for, you know, 120 of your best minor league ball players. And now you've, you have no room to make any other moves. No, you, you know, if you're if you're able to, you know, take two guys on the big league roster like Dahl and, and Davis, um, and you know, add some prospects, and uh, that that probably would have to include Brendan Rodgers, as as we discussed, and and some other you know um, highly coveted players from the Rockies system. You still have a lot more to work with. You know, Colorado has so yeah. much depth. In the minor leagues, they they love their guys. Whether you know the the prospect pundits like them or not, they love their guys. And hey, you got to tip your cap to them because a lot of them are on this team right now, and they've done a, a good job at, at developing them. Um, maybe not to, to superstars. We haven't we haven't gotten that in this recent crop yet, but there's still plenty of time left. So um, you can still acquire Mookie Betts and then go out and 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 make some other moves. I mean, shoot, you could. Um, you know, if, if you're getting rid of Tapia or, or Hilliard, or, or if you're just trying to reduce the cluster in the outfield with with a trade like Betts, you can now turn around and, and make another deal and get that guy um, that you want to get. So you're you're taking a strength um, and 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 using it to your advantage to improve that weakness area. So pitching has to be addressed, no doubt about it. But in the meantime, we can dream. Mookie Betts playing a Coors Field, that would be that would be fun. <laughs> I love it. And and you know what's interesting actually is that the framework for our Mookie Betts conversation, I think I can just moving forward can be moved around now. And you could actually apply it to the one thing we know about Betts that we don't know about a lot of other players is that he's probably going to be aggressively shopped. And 
if that becomes the case for somebody of his caliber, but who is a starting pitcher, well, then we say, hey, Dahl Davis Rogers for that's the thing is we don't know the name. I, I have no idea who might be available. What team is going to come out and say, you know, we thought we were closer than we were. We're going to sell off all of these pieces. Who wants, uh, you know, are the Red Sox, for example, going to actually decide to purposefully be bad for one year and be like, Hey, who wants Chris sale? And then you go, Oh, we didn't even, we didn't think he was going to be available. Um, you know, just go total tank mode in, in, in the pitching department as well, or who knows, but, uh, I, I think it'll be fun to kind of look around and dream on some of the big moves before we invariably get to Tanner Roark and Robinson Chirinos. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, there, there's plenty of guys that are going to be available this off season. And, and, you know, you could go back and listen to what we talked about last off season, all throughout October and November and, and look at the, uh, the list of a hundred or so free agents, and this year that list is is actually better. Uh, not at the top, you know, there aren't the the Harper, uh, Machado, Patrick Corbin type guys that are out there, but there uh, there are just a lot more free agents in general because if there were a lot of mid range guys that were you know the the tenth through twentieth best options out there, Mike Mustakis, Yasmani Grandal, they all they all signed one year deals. Um, and some of them, you know, have options to stick around, but in the case of Grandal, he's, he's going to want to get out there in the open market and try to, you know, make some good money for his fellow catchers. You know, he had a, he had a decent deal uh, available to him, I believe from, from the Mets, but he felt that overall the, the, the average annual rate was lower than what he wanted. So he took a a better one-year deal. But now he's going to look to kind of recoup some of those expenses, and, and there's a lot of guys like that out there. So, and only so many spots on on major league rosters right now. So, you know, Colorado um, with their their threadbare analytics department, uh, for lack of a better term, you know, they they can be do some damage this this off season and really pluck some really, you know, quality caliber players off the the free agent you know heap. Um, it won't be you know, the first option guys, and will be won't be the big salary contracts. But there's a there's a couple guys that they can add if they need to, for in that five to ten million dollar range. You know, Adam Jones was a guy last year that you and I talked as a as a really good right handed bat, and you know he was you know certainly sufficient in Arizona and and was one of the leaders in that clubhouse to kind of get them in contention, which seemed like impossible, especially after they traded Granke. But there are guys out there um, as free agents that. Can really, you know, change the dynamics of of the Rockies clubhouse as well as their their on field uh, talent. Absolutely, I think we should resolve right now. Day one of the official off season for everybody. The the day after the end of the World Series, you and I should begin our inevitable three part look at every single free agent uh, <laughs> out there, and how they could or could not be an interesting fit and make that an annual thing. Cause like you said, there's a lot of interesting names to look at. Yeah, I'm down for it. Let's go. We put on a cup of coffee and three, four, five hours. We might have to do it at the studio. They'll t- they'll be turning the lights off on us at the DNVR you know, home base and sorry, shut the lights off, you know, before you guys leave and uh, we'll, 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 we'll do That'd it all night long, man. We'll do what we got to do. Love it. Love it. All right, well, let's go ahead and wrap this one up here. 
It's a fun conversation today. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Make sure you're following us on all the social media, at DNVR underscore Rockies, at Patrick D. Lyons, at Drew Creaseman. Give us a like, share, and subscribe on Facebook, whatever podcast app you're using. Subscribe to DNVR as we continue to bring you all kinds of exclusive content throughout the off-season. Hopefully, you have enjoyed this conversation and many more that we have coming your way. As Patrick mentioned, we'll be able to do some more live streams as well, so be on the lookout for that. I think we're planning on mostly Tuesdays. It's planned for now. We'll see how well we work that out, but I think mostly Tuesdays for our our fancy schmancy live streams. Uh, So, all right. Everyone out there, we hope you continue to be absolutely awesome. As long as you're listening to this podcast, you are. We will continue to be absolutely Patrick Lyons and Drew Creaseman. And until next time, we will see you at the ballpark. Hey, guys. I was just sitting here talking to Lindsay about Total Bev's new app. It's incredible. You can shop 5,000 different wines, 2,000 beers, 3,500 spirits, anytime, anywhere. Better yet, you can have Total Beverage shop for you and pick it up inside prepaid and waiting for you. Wait a second, that is so cool. So can I still get it delivered if I use the app? Absolutely, I know you guys have heard of their delivery service. Total Beverage will deliver to your house within 90 minutes or less. We can even save you 10 bucks on a purchase of 50. Use promo code TOTALLY10 at checkout. What's also amazing, BSN fam, if you can't find an item you want, Total Bev will give you suggestions of similar items on the shelf, or you can request a special item right from your phone. It really doesn't get much better than that. Remember, use promo code TOTALLY10 at checkout to save. That's T-O-T-A-L-L-Y 10.